And that was great. Thank you all for uh, sharing that with us. That was really beautiful and amazing. 31 years. So, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, for a married couple who've been married for 31 years, the gift they're supposed to give each other is a timepiece. Because nothing says I love you like a clock. Right? So we're 31 years old, and uh, that's, that's amazing. I, I just want to say a quick word of thanks um, to you all for the incredible privilege you have given to me um, over these 31 years, allowing me to be uh, your pastor. It has been a profound joy and a deep honor, and I am grateful. So... So, this summer, Marilyn and I, uh, when we were up in Maine, thanks. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, you keep that up and you'll never get rid of me. It's, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And I felt it online, too. I could tell you were in your living room standing. Hope you didn't spill your coffee. So this uh, summer uh, up in Maine, Marilyn and I were feeling a little nostalgic and talking about Hope Church. And I said, so what, what do you think it was that had Hope not only survive but thrive? You know, when we moved into town, into the school, there were churches in every school uh, in town at that time. And none of those churches uh, are still around. And churches came uh, after churches left and so forth. And none of them that I'm aware of have continued to stay around. So what is it about hope? And we both said kind of simultaneously, um, it's because God wanted it to. It's because God wanted to. For whatever his reasons were, for his own purposes, God wanted this church to stick around. And God provided for it to happen. So in those early days and ever since, God has brought amazing, incredible people with great gifts who invested those gifts in this place to allow it to thrive. God created circumstances that allowed this church to do the things that he needed it to do. And so I could tell story after story, but you know, God just created circumstances that allowed this church to do things that had the circumstances not been right, probably wouldn't have happened. And God created in this church a spirit uh, that there's this kind of given an acceptance of the fact that there's always a next step whether it's in your personal faith journey or in our journey together, that there's always a next step. And that created a sense and continues today of forward progress, that we are always moving in God's direction. And then as we were talking, one thing came up that surprised us both, but we ended up talking about it a lot. And that was this idea of resilience that this 
church, this congregation has been resilient. And that word resilient, it's a good word, right? It's a word that means when you are knocked down after a hardship, a defeat, a failure, that you get back up and keep moving. I've seen that in my own life, in my life with Marilyn, that we've had to be resilient. Back in our early married days, we went through six years of infertility. And for, for families, for couples who go through that, that's a really difficult and challenging time. We went through the birth of a child with special needs, cancer, the loss of loved ones, financial struggles. As a congregation, we went through difficult, challenging times. There were times where we were under-resourced, times where there were betrayals by those who were trusted. There were times of leadership missteps, my own leadership missteps. And then recently, COVID, right? And a pandemic that just put us on a track that we never would have imagined being on and all of the struggles that have gone on in that. And when you put all of these challenges together, if you could gather them all up and put them in a bucket, you know what you would call that bucket? Life, right? Life. That's what happens. These are the things of life. You know, I think when we're younger in particular, we can grow up with this myth that we are in a protective bubble, right? That bad things don't happen to us. They happen to other people, but not to us until something does. And when that happens, it can be shocking, disorienting. We could become angry, disappointed, discouraged, and even direct those feelings toward God. But here's the thing. Hardships are not unusual. Right? Jesus himself said it. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus told his disciples, in this life, you will have trouble. In this life, not you might have trouble, bad things could happen. I don't know. No, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. And that Greek word that is in the New Testament that Jesus used for trouble is a descriptive word. It's a picture word, and it's about things pressing against each other. And isn't that a great description? That when you are in time of trouble, when I'm in times of trouble, it feels like the weight of the world is pressing down on you. And you can feel it in your body, your shoulders or your neck, your lower back, wherever you feel pressure, you feel it physically, even as you feel it emotionally. We will have hardships, 
difficulties will come. In the scheme of things, some of them, when you look back, really weren't that big a deal, right? So I didn't get into the college I wanted to get into. At the time, that may feel devastating. But as you look back, with the advantages of longevity, you get to say, well, you know, that really wasn't that big a deal. But there are those challenges, there are those struggles that really are profound. The death of a child or someone who dies far too young. A devastating illness or injury, those things that, that you carry with you throughout your life. And what all of those things share in common is they become a point of decision. Will this defeat me or will I be resilient? Will I be overcome or will I be an overcomer? I believe the decision, the decision to follow Jesus is a decision to be an overcomer. Now, in John 16, that we just read, where Jesus said, in this life, there will be trouble, that wasn't the whole verse. So I want to read the entire verse now and see what Jesus said. And, and the context of this is Jesus is with his disciples in an upper room for the Last Supper. He's just begun to explain to them all that is about to transpire, all of the hardship, all of the horror that is about to transpire. And then he says this in 1633. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You're going to have trouble. Bad things are going to happen. But in me, you can find peace. In Jesus, we find victory. In his victory, we experience victory. And in his peace, we can experience peace. Jesus understood trouble, right? Like, Jesus didn't just float through life. Jesus understood trouble. Jesus faced abuse and betrayal, rejection, injustice. He became sin. The one who knew no sin became sin, took on the weight of human sin upon himself. And yet, in the midst of it all, in the face of it all, he had deep peace. Friends, this isn't just some kind of theological abstraction. There are very practical implications of this for our lives. The Apostle Paul experienced it. The Apostle Paul was another one who understood the troubles and difficulties of life, right? Paul was rejected by friends and colleagues. He was labeled a traitor to his faith and to his country. 
He was beaten on multiple occasions. He was imprisoned multiple times. But every single time, he got knocked down. Every single time, he could have been overcome. Paul was resilient. He got back up and he moved forward. You know, I said resilience is a decision, and I believe that it is. But it's not just a decision to get back up and keep moving. There's a lot of people who are resilient in that way. You knock them down, they get back up, and they keep moving. But here's the problem. Here's the challenge beyond just getting back up. Without something that motivates you in a positive way, you may get back up, but you move forward with a little less hope, with a little less joy, maybe with a little less capacity to love. And that's not the kind of resilience that we're talking about. The decision I'm talking about is a decision to keep your focus on Jesus Christ and to have your life following his life. Paul said it this way, follow me as I follow Christ. The thing that gave Paul the kind of resilience that we want, that doesn't diminish hope, doesn't diminish peace, doesn't diminish love, is that kind of peace that Christ offers us. And so Paul gave us a method that he discovered, that he instructed others to follow along so that we wouldn't just survive difficulties, but we would thrive through the difficulties. So I want to go through this with you. It's found in the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter. I love this section. It's probably one of my favorite sections of all scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Here's what it starts out by saying. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now that word again in the Greek, and I'm using a lot of Greek here today because, you know, I paid for this when I went to seminary. <laughs> Got to use the vocabulary every once in a while. The word in the Greek means literally to be glad to be well, to thrive, to thrive. So listen to it with that in mind. Thrive in the Lord always. I'll say it again, thrive. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation, in every situation, including and maybe especially those times of difficulty, those times when you feel knocked down, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests 
to God. Right? Paul is not describing here an event. He's describing a lifestyle. Rather than embracing anxiety and fear that suck the life out of you, that keep you down, there's a better way. Pray. Pray. And ask God for all of the things that you need, desire, want. Pray, petition, ask others to pray for you as well. Pray. And as you do it, make sure that your prayers are filled with thanksgiving, overflowing with thanksgiving. Picture your best thanksgiving meal, right? And you've got your potatoes and your stuffing and the gravy and the turkey and the yams and the this, and it's just a pile of thankfulness. <laughs> I'm obviously jazzed about Thanksgiving. You see, what happens when troubles come, and you know this, when troubles come, we tend to lose sight of the things that we can be thankful for. And it's in those times that we most need to remember to express our gratitude to God. Several years ago, I decided I was going to start a gratitude journal Right, I've talked about this for years, thought, you know, it's time I did one. So I started a gratitude journal. First five days was easy. Day one, I'm thankful for my family. Day two, I'm thankful for my job. Day three, I'm thankful for my home. Day four, I'm thankful for my health. Day five, I'm thankful for food. I went for months every day. When you do that, you suddenly have to begin to drill down into what is it that I am really thankful for? What is it about my family that I'm thankful for? Specifically. What are those things that I'm grateful for about the work that I get to do specifically? And what I began to realize as day after day, week after week for months, going into this gratitude journal, that I began to plumb the depths of just how blessed I am, even in those times where I feel discouraged, where I may be struggling. There's a benefit to all this, Paul says. In verse 7, this is what he wrote. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, guarding your thought life, guarding your emotional life, to keep you strong 
in the times where you may be most discouraged. All right, I'm going to do a quick exercise. I told you about my uh, journal experience. I want you to do this. So what's one thing in your life you're thankful for today? One thing you're thankful for. First thing that comes to mind. Okay, you got it? Now I want you to think of two things about that one thing or that one person, two specific things that you're thankful for about that. And now I want you to think about one of those two things and why is that something that you are thankful for? That's kind of the exercise of gratitude. It's not just this general surface thing of, yeah, I'm thankful for this, that, and the next thing, and so forth. That's, that's fine. That's a beginning place. But this is really about going into the depths of the blessings that you have in your life and naming them, looking at them, being aware of them, especially when you don't feel like it. Because those are the times that you probably most need to be grateful. A grateful spirit is a part of our relationship with Christ that protects you from being overwhelmed by fears and anxieties, which is precisely why the Apostle Paul said you need to make it a regular part of your prayer life. Okay, back to Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Here's what it says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What happens when you feel knocked down? What happens to you when you feel discouraged? For many of us, what happens is things go dark. And I can't think of any good thing. I don't want to hear about any good thing because my life right now is really hard. And so my attitude and my perspective begins to get dark as well, and I begin to imagine that there is nothing good in life at all. It reminds me of a movie, and I watch it every year, and I'm not ashamed to say so. It's a wonderful life. <laughs> oh, well, all right. So it's a million-year-old movie. I don't know how old it is, but... Jimmy Stewart, you know, plays George Bailey, and he's in this place in his life where he's really discouraged. Life has not gone the way he thought, and now he's just in a really bad way. And what's fascinating is at the beginning of the movie and then toward the end of the movie, we hear people praying for George. His wife is asking his, uh, their family and friends to pray for George. And in the midst of all of that, George, through, you know, this crazy circumstance with this angel, uh, Clarence, but he becomes aware of the blessings in his life. 
the things that are good and noble and right and pure and praiseworthy. And he sees them in a way that he hadn't seen them because he was so discouraged. And it's transformational. His circumstances, at least in the moment that he had this revelation, his circumstances didn't change. But his attitude had changed. His mind had changed. Looking at those things, being reminded of those things that are good and pure and so forth, are an important spiritual discipline. So if you are feeling discouraged today, I want to I make this challenge. One, you should start a gratitude journal. Here's the second thing. You ought to start fasting. You ought to start fasting. Bad thing to say at Thanksgiving, but I'm not talking about food. That's the good news. I'm not talking about food. Here's what I would encourage you to fast from for the next month. Turn off CNN. Turn off Fox News. Turn off whatever that news source is that you have that is filling your head with bad things and all of the negative things and reflecting negatively on other people. Turn it off. Stop reading the blogs. Stop listening to the podcasts that tell you how awful everybody else is. And replace that by going out and looking for information, stories about things that are good and pure and noble and right that will lift your spirit. It'll make a huge difference in your life. Here's how Paul finishes it out, verse 9. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Follow me as I've followed Christ, and the God of peace will be with you. Have you noticed that word throughout this morning? Peace. What's the one thing that you feel like you're lacking when you're discouraged? When you feel like you're being overcome or overwhelmed? It's a lack of peace. Going back to verse 7 from Philippians 4, what did it say? When you pray with thanksgiving, what? The peace of Christ which defies understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. What did we read in John 16? Jesus said to his followers that in me you will have what? Peace. Peace. That's what we need. We need peace if we're going to be truly resilient. The band is going to come up and they're going to be leading us in a closing song. And I want to close with this. 
these ideas, these instructions of Paul, this promise of Jesus for peace, real peace, is what we most need. If you want to be an overcomer and not overcome, if you want resilience that is not going to leave you diminished with less capacity for hope or peace or love or joy, then do these things. Pray. Pray. And in your prayers, offer God thanks, not broad general thanks, but specific things that you're thankful for. And focus your attention on the things that are good and true and right and noble and the peace of Christ, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 